0: The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and
1: Tea Fitness. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. You have been forewarned. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is still the Harry Potter edition. We're coming to the end. Today we're talking about The Deathly Hallows Part 1. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Howdario Awards. Joining me, as always, your friend and mind, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Give it to me. Time for a cozy catch-up later.
0: Sorry, there are no good quotables in this
1: movie. I was, I was just gonna say, that's what you picked. Well, what would you pick? Well, it's a fair point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just like that that line. You know, sometimes it's just a line. It's not necessarily a good line. It's a line that stands out for me, and I think you know, to to put that line. Time for a cozy catch up later. I'm like, when? If not now, when? <laughs> Nothing's happening right now. Let's do it now.
1: That's funny. Well, of course, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, a 2010 film, yet again, directed by David Yates. I can't believe this movie's a decade old.
0: Uh, I can't believe it's only taken me a decade to see it. (laughs)
1: <laughs> You'll get your revenge on me at some point. Oh yeah, I know you well, have, that's that. I know you have plans. I have
0: plans, yeah. But uh, <laughs> stay
1: tuned, audi- dear audience.
0: I, I yeah, it, it's hard to find something that will punish you and delight me. Right. Um, but I, even I'm starting to to worry that it won't delight me as much as I hope it will. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's great, but I know
0: it's going to annoy you, and that's almost worth it. <laughs> you know, uh, you've let something slip, and uh, no. and you regret it for for a long time—a <laughs> <laughs> long time. In the, right. in the words of Obi Wan Kenobi, a long time.
1: <laughs> uh, as always. This movie's a juggernaut. I think all these later movies have a budget around of $150 million. They all make around three hundred, But uh, always in the neighborhood of close to a billion dollars worldwide. You'll like this. Uh. They were originally planning to do one movie. It turned out to be a 500-page script, and the movie was going to be five and a half hours long. So that's why we got the split.
0: I mean... That's no excuse. You, you 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 don't need to keep it at five hundred pages. You you can you know you can cut stuff.
1: I could give you a I'll say... I could give
0: you a list of things you could cut right
1: now. <laughs> I'm sure you I'm sure you've got an extensive list. Well, let me ask you this though: Do you? Do, they, do filmmakers need to feel beholden to the book audience at all? Because that's, mm. in addition to completely and totally being a money grab, making two movies instead of one, you prolong the series a bit and you get to make another billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's anything to the argument that the book audience wants to see as much of the book as they can and dividing this movie into two movies gives that to them? Or fuck yeah, it's
0: him. well I would say fuck him but clearly <laughs> clearly that's the only logic behind it apart from the sure apart from the you know eking out the last dregs uh of of the of the bubble of the Harry Potter bubble but yeah that that's got to be really the only argument and it's interesting to me that I think you know it's kind of the similar situation to um to how prequels have gone out of fashion, I think multi-part films are also going out to fashion, uh, go out mm-hmm. of fashion. I think if you know if we didn't do it for Rise of Skywalker, we
1: never will. <laughs> Cause that that's a little different though, because that's not that's being written directly for the screen, right? You're not dealing with a seven hundred page, eight hundred page book. Um, yeah, but if you, it, I mean apparently it was written directly for the
0: screen yes (laughs) i mean it's it's interesting i'm trying to think, you know because i want to be i want to be fair my my basic thesis is multi-part films especially within a a series that is also a sequel franchise is Mm -hmm. just a bad idea
1: but so tell me why though okay well what what's your argument for it can't work because you said that several I don't, times so well, I don't think why it, is it not possible to work i think it can
0: work under certain circumstances
1: i think just out of curiosity does kill bill yeah. volume 1 and 2 work or not all right work?
0: you you've, you've you've um you found my exception that proves the rule <laughs> okay i thought so but that was approached i understand as you know a filmmaker realizing that he was making two completely different movies that just happened to have the same characters in them.
1: Well, I also, I remember being or hearing at the time that it was just too much story, not necessarily two different stories, but it was, it was, he, he wasn't willing to cut what he wanted and it was going to be like this, you know, it was going to be a five hour long movie. And he said, I don't want to do that. Let's make volume one and volume two. But he's
0: a good. He's a good enough. Uh, Tarantino's a good enough filmmaker to have. To be able to crap two distinct movies. Yeah. There.
1: Yeah. They're, uh, right.
0: Uh because you know that.
1: Just out of curiosity, which one do you like more?
0: Um, I go back and forth actually. Okay. But because uh, the, the the first one takes some beating, but only because. I think. I mean, I was I was so blown away by it as a piece of spectacle. Yeah, right. In a way, I wasn't with the second movie, but I, I was also incre- quietly impressed by how the second movie uh, tonally was completely different.
1: And I, I really like that yeah. about that movie. Absolutely. And I like that movie more. And that's oh, why I equate it to these two movies because the second one slowed down and developed the characters even more and, you know. But you like this one more, right? Yeah, right. That And that's what I, I so I always equate it to, to the Deathly Hallows because that's what, you know, you you were apoplectic when you found out that I was listing this movie as high as I was. Yeah. This is second to last for you, right? No, this is very last for me. Oh, okay. Uh, but- yeah, because I like this one more than part two. I it's a, I like it's that a this movie of... slows down. I like that hmm. that we don't have to worry about stuffing it to the gills with the British national treasures, because I also don't hate these three actors. Yeah. So I I like there watching there. Yeah, that saves so. me saves me from saying that. <laughs> right. So I know that that's your living nightmare. Yes. But I think they I think all three of them had become quite good actors, and I. So the thing that always surprised me on a first viewing of this movie was that this first part takes essentially three quarters of the book. So leaving the theater, I thought, what the fuck are they going to do in that last movie? And it's just a big long out, you know, drawn out battle scene hmm. with lots of good stuff in that I like. None, As none said of before, this. Before I declare all these movies good. None but... of
0: this convinces me that splitting this story into two movies is a good idea. You're already telling me like there's,
1: there's, there's more <laughs> yeah, there's knew. more story in
0: one than that you know, there's like there's like half a film left over. <laughs> right. Um, like I don't. So you're I you're knew already telling d- me that digging myself even... a
1: shallow grave by admitting that to you, but. <laughs> I was giving you ammunition to fire into my face. I mean, I,
0: I, it's not just you know, I, I'm. I with the multi with the multi part, uh, movie. I think it signals that there's there's a problem. You don't know how to adapt this story and make it coherent, and it just ends up being deeply unsatisfying as an individual movie. Uh, not for me, not for you, but. <laughs> There's
1: a number of things And I also don't think for the general Harry Potter going audience.
0: Well there's a there's a number of factors that for me make this a deeply unsatisfying movie. I mean the multi part Okay go the multipart uh aspect of it is definitely uh plays a big role in that. I mean we go we go from Voldemort winning to winning in two and a half hours. So there's no real arc in this movie that I can see anyway. Wait,
1: say that again? He goes from he winning to wins? winning and it takes two and a half hours. How does he win? He dies at the end. What are you talking about? No, in about? the
0: mid. So this movie ends with him winning and
1: he's winning at the beginning of the movie. Oh, you mean because he gets the yeah. wand. Yeah, but that's not true because there's things he doesn't know or understand about magic.
0: I'm talking about this as an
1: individual movie. I get that. <laughs> Aside from that, the, this. The, but if you'd read the books, you know that Harry's making a choice. He's well, letting him get that one.
0: I'm not. I'm. I'm judging this as a as a moviegoer, not as a. <laughs> That's true. As a as a sequel lover. Um, and the also the compulsion that this movie feels to be a kind of greatest hits compilation of the of the franchise, that compromises its ability to. St- stand out as an individual movie too. And also how do you
1: being greatest hits?
0: Well, you know, callbacks to the 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 best moments of the franchise like doing a version of the bus chase from Prisoner of Azkaban, multiple callbacks to the Chamber of Secrets which it turns out is the most important movie in the fr- in the franchise all of a sudden. <laughs> um you know, the invisibility spell. You know, this kind of not a spell. They wear a cloak. Okay, the invisibility cloak. Cloak. Um, oh, you're
1: upsetting me.
0: Well, there's, there's so so many of the, so many of those things, uh,
1: and so it just be- isn't that all part of the world building, though. I mean, you introduce an invisibility, and an, that he has an invisibility cloak. It's essential to how Harry has spent his entire wizarding education. I'm not By just being able to use that cloak. Are you saying that they just shouldn't be using it? No, I'm talking I'm talking once about it's introduced? I'm
0: talking about why why this is the, the kind of least satisfy I'm just talking about why this is the least satisfying as a standalone movie. And uh, you know, the the kind of the there is, it is I think it's very deliberate in this movie that we kind of we have to nod to everything that came before at least once. Like even tonally, you know, it's like those little fart bomb things. It's like, remember when Chris Columbus directed this and it was all fun and we were kids? <laughs> it's, there's so many of those things scattered throughout it. I, you know, I, I, I'm sort of like, well, that really compromises this movie having any kind of identity of its own. Beyond that, you know, the introduction of Grindelwald seems to me to be backdoor prequel time. Um, so you get the feeling. That- I don't
1: know that that was, I don't know if you could. I mean, I. it's hard to say because I don't know what was in J.K. Rowling's mind or how bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but be, be beyond that, my my my, my point was. I, I don't know if she had conceived of starting something with fantastic beats beasts by this time or not
0: I definitely got the sense of that
1: so yeah but you you have the benefit of hindsight yes you didn't see this movie in 2010
0: I I don't know I think you can always I have a good I have a good uh radar for for backdoor um backdoor prequels <laughs> or backdoor franchise extension, and to it, you, when you get that real, you you like even for this incomplete idea of who Grindelwald is and what he means, I'm like.
1: I'll tell you what I got. That was in uh, uh, which which Star Wars sequel was it? Not the Rise of Skywalker, the the Last Jedi, when Luke goes into the Millennium Falcon and sees. Whatever that was, the iron dice. The furry dice, yeah. Yeah, I was like, the hitherto hither unmentioned. Like, we're clearly seeing something that's going to be in solo. <laughs> Eat a dick.
0: Well, You're this movie.
1: Speaking... this dice for the first time in eight, you know, movies.
0: Speaking of that imbass of the hitherto unmentioned uh, family member, uh, Dumbledore's brother. Mm-hmm. Tell me how this is different from Legends of Curly's Gold. <laughs> he looks exactly well, the for... same as Dumbledore, sounds exactly the same, and he's and he's never been mentioned before. And he even says at one point, did he ever mention me? I'm like, no, <laughs> because this is a sequel, <laughs> and this is an imbass.
1: I, 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 you know, yes, it's an imbass. I'll give bat- you that. And then pretend the backshot,
0: but... who's someone that everyone knows, but I've not heard of before in this franchise. It's like, what's the point of doing an ongoing series if you still do all the kind of like spontaneous sequel shit of retconning everything?
1: I would argue that it's not necessarily a retcon, because she is mentioned before. She is the writer of A History of Magic.
0: When is she mentioned?
1: Actually, now that I think about it, probably in the first movie. Okay. <laughs> well, well, that's of a long time, but we've not seen. heard
0: about Dumbledore's brother before, right? No, and just like we hadn't heard of Hagrid's brother, the motion picture James Corden in the in the last one.
1: <laughs> right. No, uh, you. I think it, yeah. I mean, I mean, they're you know they come up in the books like they do in the movies. Like you, yeah. you learn of them at that time.
0: And it just it just but, makes me feel it's like but what's have, the point in do what's the point in like building a mythology if you're still gonna like try and try and can do the thing that sequels do, which is to convince the audience
1: that these people have been important all along, even though we've never seen or heard of them before. Is it that? Is it always that we're I mean I guess you're right in the sense that they are important because they can't get back into the castle without Aberforth but I don't know. Yeah, no, it's just a, I wasn't even making that point it just came up.
0: Um so the but I the, those are my those uh, are yeah, my 3 uh uh, issue well no let's I, I think I think both these movies are a, a big failure I'm not you know I think definitely the nadir of the of the franchise for me what makes this slightly worse uh firstly that you can see all those problems more than you can in the next movie but also just as you've already outlined um what I always hang on to in these films is, is that I get to spend time with the best supporting cast in cinema. And this movie deprives me of that. I
1: I, I get that from, from your point of view that I understand why this movie would bother you because you don't get to hold on to the one thing you feel connected to. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but for me as a Harry Potter lover and a lover of the books and a lover of the movies, I love that we get to slow down and not have to feel like we're rushing or jam-packing so that the seams are bursting. Some of these other movies, 5 and 4 most especially, feel like they're bursting at the seams trying to put in as much as they can. Which is remarkable for the fifth one, too, which is why I think I put that movie towards the end is because... That movie feels like it's bursting at the seams, which makes sense because it's one of the longest books, but it is, I think, the shortest movie or second shortest movie. Yeah. So.
0: But as an outside observer, I would say cut all the mood building and and the character development that takes up too much time, even for what it is, and make one movie. Cut character development? No, cut. The amount of time you take with this, and and how much you have paused the pace of the movie to do it, but I mean, you're right. That's not what the majority of people who are buying the tickets to this movie fans are interested want, in. right? They want as much Harry Potter possible. But I don't know. I mean, well, we'll see when you give the numbers to the second movie. But as I, I, it's I think even in that position, I would be irritated that, that uh, you still, you couldn't make a coherent movie uh, out of the material that you've got.
1: Going back to your argument about separating it?
0: Well, you know, I, I don't know. It depends. A Harry Potter fan's that kind of. Militant and brainwashed. It's just like we want more Potter at the expense of quality filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, some fans are. You know, some fans are like, it's better that this is in the world than not. I yeah. I mean, I just
1: is. disagree. I I found the, I found the way. Despite the fact that I I was surprised how far in the book they got in this first movie. It seemed like to me when he raises the wand and lightning strikes, and you know, to be continued comes. I found it all very satisfying. But let's take a break, and when we on com- that cliffhanger, <laughs> when we come back, we'll We're get now done with the movie. We'll get more. Into- yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll actually talk about what happens in this movie right after this. <laughs>
0: They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherfers, guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer.
1: And we're back. Tom and I are here, of course, discussing... The 2010 film, The Deathly Hallows, Part 1. Is there anything in this movie you do like? I mean, as this movie starts, Harry Potter is at home. As long as you have
0: absolutely no follow-up
1: questions. (laughs) That's my line. I love that line. (laughs) I believe it's from The Simpsons. Yeah. So long as there are absolutely no follow-up questions, yes. (laughs) Now go on. What what'd you think of because Harry's at home I did miss one thing from the book The Dursleys all have to leave and you get that in the movie but in the book <laughs> there is a moment where Dudley Dursley says what about him why is he not coming with us And Harry realizes for the first time that Dudley, at the very least, has managed to care whether or not he's living or dead. <laughs> but at any rate, well, I'm, then you have this big chase. Mm, so, what do you think?
0: It doesn't doesn't Richard Griffith give a look, which is kind of, uh, basically that emotion, like, it's like I acknowledge that something's missing. But I don't quite know what it is.
1: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say because I, I latch to that second part more than yeah.
0: Well, it's sort of like a, it's sort of like a, they, you know, like because essentially they're erasing themselves from history, is what I got from that via magic, right?
1: I don't know. I don't. I. I um, hard to say. Because they Isn't definitely the, just the, have the to leave town and forget- be somewhere where nobody can find them.
0: Right, but it is, it's sort of like, it's like they're making them forget that he's there, is the sense I got. But regardless- Oh, like a
1: memory charm? No, I think you're thinking of Hermione's parents.
0: Okay, so it doesn't apply to Uncle Vernon. No, yeah. I thought that's what they were suggesting with Uncle Vernon, like we see the point at which he forgets that Harry exists, but he remembers that there's something missing. But, oh, I don't think so. Okay. Um, well, I well, I thought that, and then I I was like, I was like, it's interesting how they use magic to do like retconning. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> that Well, you know, like I I just I it really just confirmed my uh, my analogy that uh, Voldemort has become Blofeld. Because there's literally a scene where all his followers are organized like Spectre around a table, and he's walking around Blofeld like, uh, and destroy and kills one he, of them. He, he, well, like, he kills a uh, yeah he, and he
1: kills a woman. I mean, that
0: scene happens in Thunderball,
1: <laughs> right?
0: Um, so, but what I like uh, about that
1: moment is. Well, let me ask you, because you, you've already stated that you never believed that Snape was bad or evil. Yeah. So in order for him to keep his disguise on while he's sitting at that table, he has to watch somebody die. And I think right. that's a really great moment.
0: Yeah. And uh, But yeah, for me, I'm just like, oh, this is going to be hard for him to um, to deal with when he finally reveals that it's all a game. And also makes Dumbledore look more villainous than making him do it, mm-hmm. which is how it turns out. But um, still, not. I guess that's, that's a pretty good. That's as that's as close as you get as as he gets to convincing me that he is really going through with this and he is really defected. But, hey, uh, there I you
1: go. But I still don't. I still didn't buy it. Well, I think I think um, the look on his face is. Perfect. Because that's exactly what, he's because that's playing exactly what, what you playing pass- do. Right. He's looking at her as though it sh- he's impassive, but you can see, I- at least I think you can see his heartbreaking behind behind that veil. Yeah. True. In a way that's really engaging. Like, I really, I just, I miss Alan Rickman.
0: Me too. And, and you know, we I think uh, there's a kind of last-minute introduction of a few more famous British faces, at least in the first part of the movie. Well, the beginning and the end of the movie is like... It's like a, sa- a British national treasure sandwich. We get Bill Nye coming right. in. And then there's some people who are not celebrities but mean a lot in the world of kind of fantasy and gothic. Um, the person who, you know, who... Uh, uh, famous for playing a British TV horror host called Dr. Terror, but also famous for being the the man behind um, the CGI Governor Tarkin in Rogue One. Oh, okay. Fake Peter fake Peter Cushing. Um, and uh, Graham Duff, who um, is a famous, who wrote a parody, weirdly enough, of Dr. Terror's House of Horror called Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible. Hmm. Uh, starring Steve Coogan, which was a horror anthology ripoff. So there are some kind of nods to, like, British fantasy. Well, and also John Hurt,
1: who, because you haven't seen the original movie, you're seeing for the first time, right?
0: Oh, he's from the original movie? Yeah. Because to me, well, that's exactly, having not seen that, it looked like he walked straight off the set of Crystal Skull, which was a year (laughs) before, without even changing his clothes or hair. (laughs) Or acting.
1: No, yeah, he sells Harry as one.
0: We'll talk about that in the next movie, but let me just say I was deeply frustrated at the last-minute introduction of John Hurt uh, with zero screen time or dialogue of note. I mean, the sec- the next movie obviously picks that up. You're not going to introduce John Hurt yeah. and then not pick it up. But, you know, again, as an individual movie... <laughs> It's a big tease to get, you know, to get John John Hurt and Warwick Davis and then nothing comes of that. But anyway, um, also a little bit with Bill Nye as well. I feel like
1: he dies quickly, he's, right?
0: He's set up in a way that seems he's like he's going to be more important. And obviously he's a big. Certainly by this time, he's a big name in British acting and I think a favorite. Of, oh, sure. Of a lot of people.
1: But then Shacklebots uh, Otter comes and just announces the minister is dead. Yeah. So,
0: again, that's frustrating that uh, that my the the Potter rep, the Potter Repertory Theatre <laughs> is largely absent from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you mentioned the the chase, and you know that I felt that this was like you know this was trying to introduce the the sense of this as a finale. You know, as the as the finale two-parter, so all possible variations of flying machines and creatures, the biggest spectacle we've seen as yet. You know, the summative mm-hmm. piece of spectacle, and within that, you know, you have the greatest hits moments, the reprise of the Buzz Chase. This very, mu- very much essentially trying to access audience memories of of uh, of iconic and I would say better parts of this franchise, but you know. Certainly the intent is there to kind of wow people and rem- and kind of make them nostalgic for things that we've seen
1: before. I don't know. I I don't know that those are... I'm I still not convinced that those are all conscious choices, unless, unless it's a conscious choice by J.K. Rowling in the first place for putting them in the books.
0: Yeah. That's what I got from it as a, as an outsider.
1: Did you even care that Hedwig died? You don't know who Hedwig Maybe is. Maybe if you remind me who <laughs> Hedwig is, the owl, Harry's owl.
0: Mike, we're talking. We're not talking about Hedwig and the Angry Itch. No, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, his owl dies. Okay. Well, what, I mean, yes. I, yeah, I, I, I respond emotionally to things. Okay,
1: good. <laughs> I just imagine
0: poor Hedwig getting,
1: getting hit by an Nevada cadaver curse, and you say, good, now get the rest of them and roll credits.
0: Now when was the last time we heard anything about that owl? Was it recently?
1: Oh, yeah, the owl's always there. Okay.
0: Because I, I, I'm thinking forward to, like... You know the 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 Dobby when Dobby is reintroduced, right? Everyone's like, he's such an you know like he's so important. I'm like, we have not seen him since the second film. Let's not forget. Well, and
1: it's the Dedrick effect. That's one of the things. Now, now that he dies, he's suddenly a big deal, right? There is a lot left out about House Elves in movies four and five because. Cause Dobby is in the books more. Dobby actually starts working in the kitchens, at Hogwarts, and the kids go down to the kitchens and like visit him. And there's another elf that's introduced in *Goblet of Fire*, whose name is Winky, who was actually supposed to be sitting in this. I,
0: I am great. I am grateful that we didn't have. Yeah. that Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were gonna say that. <laughs>
1: And even that was a good editorial story. Even as I started talking, I realized I could be talking about the storylines from these books for the next 10 minutes until Tom sets himself, himself on fire. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but suffice that's to say that
1: there's a lot of other elf stuff in know, the books that don't make it in the movies for time constraints. And so that's... That's the reason why it feels out of place bringing them back all of a sudden. That that and you know that speaks to your yeah. Because in a movie you do have but to I find cut it, stuff. I find it and...
0: offensive. I find it offensive that in order to understand what's going on, you know, it's like it, it dog whistling to people who've who've read the books. How could you avoid you that know? though? By by putting just give me the information. You know, this goes back to Chamber of Secrets. It's like, give me the information I need when I need it. Well, when, don't tell me to go off and read something else or watch something else. Give it to me now.
1: Can't I argue that that's what they're doing? That you're not seeing Dobby until you need to, when he has to save everybody, and you're pissed about it? No, I'm pissed.
0: I'm pissed about this miss- You know, this missing subplot that would put all of this into
1: context. So you're saying you'd like this is what irritate, to be longer? This is what
0: irritates me about, you know, modern Star Wars. Well, a lot of things irritate me about modern Star Wars, but this, the, chiefly among them is, you know, they're constantly telling you, go off and read that comic. Go and um, find this EU novel. And, no! Tell me what I need to know in the frame of the thing that you are giving me.
1: <laughs> well, that's interesting, because... I would, well, I would probably it, say the but same I'm, thing about I'm Star time. Wars.
0: You know, it's like, why, why can't we have the exposition dump at the beginning of A New Hope? What's wrong with that? <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with that man who comes in and goes, exposition, exposition, exposition? It's like, I need that. <laughs> I've not got time to watch all this stuff and read all this stuff. or interest. But I want to enjoy this movie as a movie. Anyway my rant over carry on (laughs) but that's not on this film that is just like that's modern franchise filmmaking and and the things that and you know multi-level marketing within them
1: I mean from from the from the standpoint of the creators of these movies from studios down to producers to directors and so on is it is it too, i guess my question to you is is it too much to expect them to do that for the very few people they're going to assume ha- are seeing the movies but haven't read the books don't you think they're working under I'm the sure assumption that, that, that most been, people have been reading the books
0: yeah that's the thing you know that that they're not they're not thinking about the lay viewer right you know that at some point studios realize that Fandom, you know, you can make money off fans, right. and so we we cater to 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 them and their insular view of because because fandom involves so many different texts within the same uh, property. Sure, it's like it's like well, let's play their game of you find a bit of the mythology here, you find a bit of the mythology there, but they have to pay for it all. Mm -hmm. uh so yeah then modern franchise filmmaking is not thinking you know like the producers of superman 2 it's like we gotta remind everyone what happened in the first movie no one will be able to understand this otherwise right but i'm still thinking like that because you know i think that's more that's that's a kind of more honest if slightly if some we've talked about how clunky it is and how gratuitous it can get but it's still like it's a lost art form, but it's been deliberately lost, I think, because yeah, it, it that's interesting. It, it, yeah, they, they it profits everyone involved in that cycle of fandom and profiting off fandom to be as secretive about. What's going on as possible, so that you're forced to buy. I didn't mean this to be a Marxist tract, but it kind of is.
1: <laughs> 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 um,
0: but uh, you know, we it, it's it, we've got come full circle because it's like the the first thing that really irritated me coming in in the second movie, which you know, to your point, is is ludicrous, a ludicrous position to be viewing this franchise from. <laughs> um but you know it, it it's i don't think it's an accident that movies are not filling people in for free within one piece of art, art yeah yeah um but it's it's like yeah it's like it's like the the, dimi- the diminished importance of the kind of saturday afternoon serial i just stumbled you know, what What Tarantino talks about, you know, the, 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 guy, what, the guy who's in a mall, uh, you know, he's a hot dog on a stick and he wants to see a movie, you know, like Max Cherry and Jackie Brown. I don't know why we're talking so much about Tarantino, but, you know, it's like, it's like, what are you going to see? It's like something that looks good and starts soon, you know. right? <laughs> and that's a very old idea of a moviegoer because, you know, it's this idea that you'll just watch anything at the movies well i'll I'll at least
1: acknowledge that most people are not like me because i still have the max cherry attitude (laughs) me too and i don't i think i think the assumed
0: knowledge is too much at times yeah but it's no accident it all works for within that cycle i get that i'm not i'm not I don't think it's a fa- it's it's an artist it's to me it's a creative failure but it's by no means an economic failure. Maybe one day it will be and we'll go back to pleasing as many people as possible but right now it, it doesn't work like that.
1: And okay, moving on from our existential talk about <laughs> about the nature of movie going. Yes, I think you mentioned What do you think of the elves? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say well, cuz You know, we talked about the elves look good. We have this big fight and then we're at Ron's house and we're at the wedding and shit goes down and the kids have to get away and they go back to Grimold Place. So we see,
0: hey, we went to Piccadilly Circus first because it's a David Yates film. We
1: did. We have a little battle in the coffee shop and then we get back to Grimold Place. We see Creature again.
0: That's right, yeah. But I
1: think I remember you in our introductory episode talking at length about your—I think you hated the break-in of the ministry because they take Polyjuice Potion and turn into the adult actors who you wish they stayed no, as like because they're better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's
0: what I liked about it. 100%, yeah. Have I already mentioned that? I think wow. so.
1: But that—I mean, that set piece is, is really good, isn't it?
0: yeah. I was gonna like going back over my notes. I realized that's the section of the movie I really liked, and and not just you know facetiously because
1: not just to bother me
0: because they <laughs> you know they get to be played by different actors for a while. Uh, I generally like everything to do with you know going into the ministry. I think it's a great set piece, and they definitely like they they definitely drain. Everything they can from that brilliant idea of the the Ministry of Magic. I think in these. Okay. In these good. Movies. And you know it was really not. Um, is this this is, is this where you see that, or is it in the next movie where you see the,
1: the goblins? It's the what? next
0: movie. Never mind.
1: No, you see. Oh yeah. Okay. I, you mean when they break in? Also,
0: this is the part of the movie where I think I, we're going back to that Order of the Phoenix talking about something that's relevant to modern Britain. And uh, there's a line in here that really stood out to me as someone who lived in Britain at the time and the kinds of media discourse that was going around. At one point, um, uh, Dark Mark says, uh, You have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide. And that was right. pretty much the government's slogan. Uh, behind the rollout of ID cards, sure, which most people in uh, in Britain, which most people at the time thought was, in, you know, a, a huge invasion of privacy and a, a beginning of a surveillance age, and it absolutely and it was, was. yeah, right. <laughs> um, so we're definitely every time we go to that Ministry of Magic, we start to see things that are kind of politically quite interesting coming up. Um. So yeah, there you go. Plus, we get umbrage back yeah yeah again that tag team of of uh british national treasures well in you know in effect here but in the middle of the movie they just disappear and it's it's tough going not for me not for you no i know <laughs> all right what you've been waiting for. let's take another
1: break and when we come back we'll finish out harry uh, harry potter and the deathly hallows part one right after this Go ahead and check out 2 T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out. And we're back. Tom and I are here discussing Deathly Hallows Part 1 still. Going strong, Tom. If you say so. At least for me <laughs> now, I asked you earlier,
0: can we talk about Tarantino? in
1: this movie? <laughs> if there's anything in this movie that you like and you said there are things you like, and we discussed some of them. Yeah. what else is there anything else on your list that you appreciate? Um, uh
0: we talked about the body kidnapping. I like that device, and I like the fact that it, it allows the characters to be played by different actors. The elves look, I mean, you know, they're obviously showcasing the fact that the elf effects have improved drastically. Right. By having both creature and elf. Dobby. As creature and. Not elf. I'm thinking of Will Ferrell. Creature and Dobby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to annoy you, Potter fans. <laughs> <laughs> creature Mission and Will accomplished. Ferrell. Um in the same shot and uh it's really you know it's a nice it's a very upfront you know uh demonstration to the audience of like here's how far we've come with special effects remember what w looked like in the previous movie and now there's two of them
1: (laughs) (laughs) so i i i like that um Am I right in saying that your nightmare starts when the kids can't get back to Grimold Place?
0: Pretty much. And know. have
1: to start camping?
0: And, you know, I'll, I've will i already said this, I think, before. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds Oh Children features in probably my least favorite scene in this movie. But that's my favorite band of all time. And it's, that song is from my favorite album of all time. Oh, wow. So I must really hate Is these this... scenes <laughs> for that to come out neutral. For Is me.
1: that the scene where uh, Hermione and Harry are dancing? Yeah. Gotcha. Um... Now, what about, like, Ron leaving? The dismay and the heartbreak of that. Does any of that play for you? I get, you know, I... I... I like the dynamics,
0: um, and I like the sort of, you know, the chinks in Potter's armor, Ron questioning his faith, mm-hmm. how that kind of signals.
1: We thought ha- you knew what you were doing. Or... Yeah,
0: how this signals how they're changing, how they're growing up. I think that's that's fine. It's about the for me, it's it's about you know the how weak the execution is of that by the actors who are doing it but also the amount of time we're spending on it especially when in order to have this we have to make a second movie it seems to me (laughs) if you were tighter about this you could avoid the second movie so I can't (laughs) think outside that those two things it's Um,
1: so funny how differing we are because I just eat all of that with a spoon and I'm sure because I think, as a movie-going audience to, member yeah. in general, like I like like the Kill Bill argument. Like, I really love it when that second movie slows down and we get to spend. It's not so frenetic. And so much of these movies, because they're based on books, and a lot of these books are big, they feel frenetic in that way. And I love slowing down and just being able to sit with these characters for a while.
0: Yeah, but that's not tied up with a failure of adaptation in the same way this is for me. Okay. And a failure of execution. How dare you? Because they're, you know, (laughs) perfectly executed and very clearly defined as two very different movies that it's impossible
1: whether or not this was the intention of Tarantino. Yeah, but I would make that argument for these two movies. These are two very different movies. It's the reverse of Kill Bill. We go slow first, and then it's frenetic next. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, uh, well, it's slow upon slow, though, because this middle part of the movie is very slow. And then the beginning of the next movie is incredibly
1: slow. But. What are you talking about? Slow the beginning with of the next sl- movie is breaking into Gringotts. But there's like an hour of people going in and out of rooms.
0: <laughs> and I. You know what? I really like that. So I'm not questioning that, but don't you tell me that is frenetic. Um,
1: what rooms are you talking about exactly?
0: We'll get there. We'll get there. We, You're
1: right. Got a Fine. whole
0: podcast to, to talk about it. Um, I wanted to ask you a question. Go. 16th birthday comment. Now, I think I know what that's about. What does that mean to you? Wait, say it again when they sort of casually mention oh i think we're 16 now or i think 17 I'm you mean no it's 16 birthday right
1: no for starters
0: at some point i've got it down here someone makes a comment it's like oh it must it's like we've we've been doing this for so long my
1: 16th birthday's passed oh i don't think so there's there's the moment where hair because When they leave the wedding and go to the coffee shop, Mm. what they don't know at that time is that the name Voldemort is jinxed. So if you say it, it's like a trace and you can be found. And that's why the Death Eaters show up there. But at that time, Harry says, do you think I still have the trace on me, meaning the underage trace? And they say, no, like once you hit 17... Mm. it's gone it can't be that
0: one of them has turned 16 then another one of them has turned 16 Hermione maybe
1: no they're both already 17 because they both could already apparate did you know
0: that there was a british tabloid newspaper called the sun i don't know why i I was gonna i do know that no no uh, yeah no i've got more um I was gonna keep it anonymous. I'm like, why? They're the, what I'm talking about is so objectionable. They deserve to be named. They, they who shall be named, <laughs> um, had a countdown to Emma Watson turning 16.
1: Oh man, is that the legal age or something in yeah, Britain? Yeah, exactly. Like oh, as gross. if
0: sudden, she turns 16, suddenly you can, you know, sexually objectify her. Is the implication? Ugh. I mean, that's, you know, that's awful. But I was wondering if this movie was kind of playing into that by not playing into that directly, but part of the same problem where it reminds us of their ages to give us permission to ogle them or not just her, but all three as sex objects.
1: I don't remember this 16 thing you're talking about, okay. There's 17 for the trace. And the only other thing I the only other thing I remember in this movie where they say something akin to what you're saying is when they go to the village after Ron has left and Hermione and Harry there are there and she says Harry I think it's Christmas.
0: Right. I've got that, but that's a different part of the movie. Anyway,
1: I think you maybe started watching something on your phone. No. And started but taking... I But I think
0: at some point they mentioned the age of the characters, so it's easier for us to see them as adults and to objectify them, is the point I'm making. Hmm. But, um... I like well, the Well, here puppets. in America,
1: you're not legally an adult until you're 18. Right. So it wouldn't need you, you know, back the fuck off anyway. Not that you should. Back, once well, back the fuck, fuck off anyway. And goes, because, but...
0: Back the fuck in, back the fuck off anyway because we first encountered them as children, and that's what matters. Right. That is absolutely what matters, and that is what I find deeply uncomfortable about them becoming sex symbols in the course of these movies. The men too. But anyway, um, I like the puppets. <laughs> Shadow puppets are great. You mean the I mean that, the the one of them looks like General Grievous from Revenge of the Sith. But So you mean the, that,
1: the the animation scene?
0: Yeah. But I was like,
1: I, I, a, I, so I was going to ask you about the animation scene cuz I love it.
0: Yeah, it's a nice addition so to the movie and a nice break from what I don't <laughs>
1: Oh god. What I don't
0: like. I I can't believe Emma Watson is worse in vo- having just stood up for her um that she's worse in voiceover than she is in person. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. God. There is I she is the absolute least person I want to hear giving a voiceover.
1: How dare you. Have you seen Perks of Being a Wallflower? No. Well watch that movie at least. I've seen
0: little I've seen Little Women, which is her most recent effort, and she has not learned how to act yet. <laughs> on the basis of that movie. <laughs> And she's, uh, again, some really good actors, and it really
1: shows. Emma, I'm on your side. I love you. I think you're great. Because she is, of course, listening. Well, if she was, she ain't listening now. <laughs> she left long ago. Thanks and then a lot, Grindel-
0: Grindelwald turns up, and he's the Nazi from The Last Crusade. Played by the, the... What's the name of the... I don't know what the name of the actor is. The guy who's like a Nazi officer in The
1: Last Crusade. But wait, which Grindelwald. But I mean uh, are you talking about the American that's working with? No, the no, not
0: Alison Duty. Um a male, the older the no, older No no no, I
1: mean I forget the I forget the actor's name. But the guy who brings the job to Indiana?
0: No, not uh, he although who, he whose is whose face not melts, although he but... is in Chamber of Secrets too. Yeah, uh, right. Uh... No, it's uh no, he's he's the he's the other he's the real Nazi. He's the guy who's actually a Nazi. Oh you're right.
1: Okay. I've yeah. got it now. You're right. I'm Absolutely. trying to find his name. Um The Pale Blue Eyes. Yes.
0: Right. Uh I, I, uh Michael Byrne is his name. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to pick out the name no me neither but he's in a lot of things specifically last crusade germany has oh no that is julian (laughs) yeah i'm trying to think of a line he says but i don't think there's a there's a uh, remarkable one but anyway well he's the guy who
1: puts the the little cane on yes on his newspaper on that's what i think of yeah yeah
0: um and he uh, just reminded me that there's lots of great actors in these movies in completely thankless roles. <laughs> and this this movie That's
1: built up. All of that's built up a bit more in the books because you have a you have a real <laughs> If you pl- this is our drinking game, isn't it? Every time you say <laughs> a lot of this is in the books. They really build up this idea of A that Voldemort is not in the country. He's somewhere else, Albania or something. He's in Albania. And. and like this in idea the Swiss Alps, of, like of Horcruxes in, uh, or. Secret
0: Service.
1: Well, the idea of Horcruxes versus Hallows. Harry has to They're be making MacGuffins. that choice. Yeah. They're all MacGuffins.
0: Well, what about. this? The I love that at one point someone says it's the sign of the Deathly Hallows, of course. <laughs> I don't remember hearing about these Deathly Hallows. Maybe I missed it. This seems like the first time we've talked about this.
1: No, well we I don't think need that, the of course. That's more of an indication of of the character who because in his kind of addled mind, he says, of course, it's the uh Deathly Hollows when a lot of people don't actually know about the Deathly Hollows. I
0: certainly didn't.
1: Well, of course
0: And not. I still don't really know. Um, <laughs> why is bee sting-faced Harry Potter such a good disguise? He looks exactly the same, except that he's been stung by bees.
1: I think it's because you can't be sure.
0: Okay. No? It barely alters any of his features. <laughs> At least the way it's represented here. But maybe, there's like... maybe they Maybe they describe <laughs> it differently in the book. But it's just like, well, it's him. I mean, he's been stung by bees, but that's Harry Potter.
1: He doesn't have his glasses on. There's like a, uh, uh, there's, there's like a <laughs> fold where his, where his scar would be, where the lightning bolt is.
0: I think it's a, that was an unusual choice given what we've seen. You can do with magic in these movies. <laughs> that that's the best disguise they can come up with.
1: Well, they couldn't uh, quickly do you know, polyjuice potion or anything. Hermione was, was, you know, time was of the essence, Tom.
0: Yeah, because, like, early earlier in the movie, their disguise was making everyone Harry... Like, being John Malkovich, basically. They make <laughs> everyone Harry Potter for a bit. Which is a very strange moment. That's in this movie, right? They make everyone Harry Potter. Briefly.
1: Yeah, that's at the beginning.
0: Which, and then they use... And this is why... This is adds to my greatest hits thesis because they use a piece of Harry Potter trivia to figure out who's the imposter. (laughs) So it's like a a trivia book at the end of the series. (laughs) Anyway.
1: Well, and so we're, you know, we're at the end, like, did you when at the end of this movie, it essentially ends at Malfoy Manor. So you talked about how these snatchers catch Harry in his disheveled face that you don't think disguises him.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But to the credit of the actor in that scene, I think you're right in the sense that he looks right at him and thinks to himself, I think he's 90% sure it's Potter, and that's why he takes him to Malfoy Manor.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That that doesn't really... (laughs) Add to your argument that it's a good disguise but go on
1: <laughs> i'm not saying i wasn't advocating that this was a great disguise i was saying i was saying you can't look at them. you're you seem to be arguing that one look and you go potter yeah and i'm saying you had you would have enough doubt because because in their minds if they take him there and they're wrong voldemort will kill them mm, so you okay. got to be 100% sure
0: Okay.
1: Thoughts on this last scene, though?
0: Well, you know, I'm not happy with how these movies or it sounds like these books treat house elves. But, obviously. Like, it's giving him his freedom and then killing Dobby. It's like, well, you've undone that sense of joy about fleeing a slave by immediately killing them. Immediately, but,
1: we're like six movies later. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, yeah, not immediately, but just to have him die in the last few minutes of the movie. But also
1: it's by Dobby's choice. He he chooses to help save Harry because he loves Harry, because Harry Potter is his friend. Acknowledge the sacrifice, Tom. Yeah, I'm not
0: again, again it's this seems this seems to be this seems although to I be, suppose
1: you are acknowledging the, the goodness of the elf and the terrible of the people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and it's it's like yeah, but it's that is that bad, it's that awful sacrificial lamb trope of they become important because they sacrifice their lives, not because you've given them any reason for them to be important in the story. I guess that's what Okay. Which is again, like you know, I think j k. Rowling is like she filters in a lot of from what I can tell from these movies, and I haven't read these books, but story wise she's she's kind of like she's jumping on a lot of old fashioned storytelling like slave narratives and fantasy you know lord of the rings style fantasy uh tom brown's school days you know books about chill about british children and going to private schools boarding mm. schools that kind of thing and this just seems like another it's like this could be straight out of uncle tom's cabin <laughs> <laughs> for me you know um I mean, there's no. I guess it's absolutely no surprise this
1: movie ends on a cliffhanger, right? I mean, of course, yeah. But you you have to know that going in, right? Yeah, and the first you part know, of you get... a two parter. Of course, it's going to end like that.
0: I did. I was a bit. I was like, again, uh, you know, making me nostalgic for Back to the Future Part Two. <laughs> it's like. Seven minutes of credits and they can't make time for a teaser, a trailer, or even an intertitle talking about the next movie. <laughs> they not have any footage they could have thrown in there. You want the end of the credits and the. I mean, you know, they go a little too far and show the entire movie in that. Of in course. That right. I don't you know, I don't. Well, I, you know, I would want that just so I didn't have to watch the next one. But I do. Uh, I mean, it's it's that same sort of feeling. I think it's that same sort of feeling. Like, you're right, you know, going into it, but it still leaves you feeling deeply unsatisfied. Especially because speak for yourself. But it's but it's not like a. It's like it's like okay, so Voldemort is winning. Now he's found another way to win. Like you think about the equivalent in Kill Bill, which is apparently he hasn't found another
1: way to win. He's wrong.
0: We don't know, but it just—it just looks like okay, good, yeah. Like he's—he's he's done well. I—I
1: I, even if you haven't read the books, I dispute that the fact that he's won or is winning. He, okay. He's well, seems he's like the obviously. Bleak- if you haven't read the books, you know that you would. I—I don't you assume that. That yeah, he has an advantage, but. Big advantage. Yeah. So, but you know, and, and Harry he had Potter. A big advantage, it, so don't he don't you a look forward advantage? to seeing how Harry Potter is going to overcome that that obstacle?
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, obviously, as a as a as an educated, you know, follower of fiction, you would obviously think like, how is how is right. Harry going to deal with this?
1: Exactly. Um, it's like every good. Uh, but think horror about the equivalent of Kill Bill or like an, you know, how like are they going to get out of this?
0: But then, like the you know this. To, to me, that's doubling down on something that we're already doing. That's already happening in the story. When, like, Kill Bill, when you know, I'm just gonna give up, give it up as a spoiler. If you haven't seen it, it's your own fault. Um, <laughs> that like your revelation about there being a, you know, a child who's alive that we thought was dead, and it's like right. very soapy, but
1: oh, it I think works completely some... though.
0: You do need something that melodramatic. This is just like so Voldem, you know, Voldemort's got a bigger advantage now than he had at the beginning of the movie which seemed like he had a pretty big advantage. I don't know. It didn't
1: really do much. For no, I me. think it like I think it lends itself towards the doom of thinking, "My god, what are they going to do now?" And really just to get Dumbledore back
0: in in the in the we get Michael Gammon back in the picture. I hope he didn't have to do more than like a day in that casket. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: with with Ray Fiennes leaning over him. <laughs> Ray Fiennes with no Hung up, No-No hung up on wires. Face. <laughs> All he, right. Well, I can't. And I also can't believe at this point Voldemort is still like barely in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> we've been waiting so long and it's Ray Fiennes <laughs> I mean when he comes out in the next movie he comes out
1: oh he does <laughs>
0: he is he is, he is chewing fully that present and
1: accounted for
0: he is chewing that Uh, chewing the the, the bricks of that building <laughs> but um, in the,
1: the best you know, in the best way possible I would argue me too all right. That's good. why
0: I like that one better than I like this one. Get the fuck out of here.
1: Anything else? I don't think so. I I just
0: uh, for our again for our purposes, not really the 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 movies. Um, I've noticed a lot of the movies we've been looking at recently. Um, people looking at gravestones. I wonder if this is another imbass. Uh, it must be a sequel because you think well, that's people interesting. looking. 'Cause I'm try Because like normally I think about it as people looking at photographs of people who are not in the movie. Often those people are dead, as in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, with that desk of death, that kind of soft focus <laughs> Denim Elliott and Sean Connery. Um, which brings those ideas together. But I wonder if there is like a walking through a graveyard with the names of people who've died in previous movies whether that's a thing we need to start looking at. Yeah, we,
1: we need some more sample cases before we can... Although we gave short shrift to that scene. I really love that scene when they go back to the village and they visit the gravesite and Bethilda Bagshot turns out to be the snake. It's all spooky and good. There's a good bit of body horror in there. Yeah. And again, I
0: thought there was like... like a Coming out of her neck. It's... Not so much in this movie. In the next movie, I, I I get a just as kind of preview. I get a sense of we've got to show everything at least one more time. <laughs> um, and this felt like the last stand of body horror for me. It was like we got to have this transformation body horror moment again. You know, thinking back to Prisoner of Azkaban and and the transformations in that. Um, that, that was cool of the wolf. The wolf, yeah, the wolf and the—that's it, right? So just werewolves and
1: that. Well, you were complaining in previous episodes about That's snakes correct. not looking real. Or snakes not looking real. Uh huh. How's the snake for you in this movie? Uh, I don't looks have. Looks better, anything. doesn't it? Yeah, everything looks better. Yeah.
0: And I think they're—I think they're aware of that because they do more in terms of with with did the, they they're like. Doubling up on everything effects wise and scale wise, right? Uh, because I think they're more confident about that their effects look good at this point.
1: <laughs> All we, right, dear listeners, we've talked about that. You know, Tom and I are agreeing to disagree. So why don't you tell us what you think? Find us on Facebook, find us on uh, Instagram or Twitter. Send us an email to the Everything Sequel at Gmail. For Tom Stewart from Lonesome Whistle Productions, I am Michael Schantz from the How Dare You Awards. Please rate and review us. We'd really appreciate it. It helps us with the algorithms. Say goodbye, Tom. The sign of the Deathly Hallows,
0: of course.
1: <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. We're going to finish this out with the Deathly Hollows Part 2. Good day.